Welcome to the More Than Coach Speak podcast. My name is Chris Holtman. I'm the head basketball coach here at Ohio State. I'm joined by Terrence Dials. Terrence was a terrific player here at Ohio State, and he's currently on our coaching staff. We look forward to bringing you uh, interesting and insightful guests who will really dive into the topics of coaching and leadership in athletics. Please enjoy today's podcast. All right, today's guest is Kevin McGuff. Uh, Kevin is a tremendous basketball coach, the head women's coach here at Ohio State. He has an overall record of 172 in 97. Um, he's coming off an Elite Eight and a Sweet 16 appearance the past couple years. He started out with a couple Sweet 16s and won a Big Ten championship. And then, uh, as we talk about it here, had a couple years. Um, where they, they did not play in the postseason, but has bounced back. And what we really believe uh, is, is has a chance to be his best team. He's had an incredibly successful uh, career, uh, tremendous run at Xavier, nine seasons, um, and uh, as well as a couple years at the University of Washington. As an assistant, won a national championship at Notre Dame. Uh, Kevin has a wonderful family. He actually has two daughters playing college basketball right now, uh, one at Belmont and one at Bowling Green. His style is fun. Uh, uh, it is a pressing style. Uh, they really play with great tempo and great pace. And uh, I think you'll really enjoy hearing about his coaching journey and some of his reasons behind uh, the way he plays. Uh, enjoy today's uh, podcast with Kevin McGuff. All right, Kevin. Great to uh, great to have you on here. Uh, more than coach speak. Thanks for thanks for hopping on. I'll get right to uh, the questions here. Uh, we'll get to your career and kind of your career path and all of that here in a minute. But coming off an elite eight and a tremendous season, twenty eight and eight, twelve and six in the Big Ten, and then returning, um, you know, some significant people that were part of that team, and then a great. A recruiting class and transfer class coming in, you know, do you feel like this is the best team that you've had? Is it, it you know, it's, I hesitate to ask that as a coach because it's so early and I hate getting that yeah. question, you know, right. Um, um, or might have the potential to be. Yeah. I, I think that'd be the way to put it. You know, I think this team has a lot of potential. Um, we obviously returned the core of what was a, a really great season for us last year. And, you know, not only the kind of the core, but some really special players, you know, J.C. Sheldon, Rebecca Mishalakikova, Ricky Harris. People have been around here a long time. So I think we have a chance to be really good and, and one of the better teams we've had. I also like the character, the makeup of our players. Yeah, I think that's been a huge key for us the last couple of years. And then, like you said, you know, we kind of added a couple – um, players that I think filled some holes for us. You know, Celeste Taylor came from Duke where she was first team all ACC and a, a really a special player. And Tyre Parks will give us a, a big physical presence around the basket. And so I think one of the other, the last thing I'd say is Madison Green's coming off her second um, knee injury and she's doing great right now. If, if she can get healthy and we can add her to the mix, then I think we're a really deep and, and potentially um, dangerous team. Yeah. And, at the time we're recording this, the season has, has yet to get started just for people who listen, because we'll probably put this out sometime during the season. So um, that gives that gives everybody a really good kind of feel for for your team. Um, 
you mentioned your transfer from the young lady from Duke. She was widely regarded as, from my understanding, one of the better transfers uh, out there. How does that recruit? I know how it works in, in men's college basketball, you know, and there's a lot that goes into it, be it uh, fit, uh, playing time, NIL for men, that's for transfers, always significant. How does that work for, for a women's kind of elite transfer recruit? Yes, a similar process. Now, Celeste's case is really unique because they're out of high school and came in second when she went to Texas. Okay. Then they had a coaching change at Texas. So we had her on campus and all that. Um, then she, you know, they, they changed coaches at Texas. So she decided to leave when that happened. She went to Duke, um, where leaving Texas, we came in second then too. <laughs> and so yes. finally, when she was looking for one more place to kind of kind of sharpen up her resume for the WNBA and so forth. We were fortunate enough to get her. And I yeah. think she's going to be a really good fit. She's got a lot of great experience. She's played in big games. Uh, she's played USA basketball every summer her, of her college career. So, you know, she brings a level of maturity and, and she's got talent and, and toughness and, and really wants to have a great last season. Yeah, that's um, okay. That explains it. And that's, that's how a lot of these transfers do come about people behind yeah. the scenes may not know it is, you, you know, you recruit them, you build a relationship with them and then, you know, you end up getting them on the back end if you don't get them initially. So that, yep. that makes, that makes total sense. Why is women's basketball exploding right now? Like it is, I mean, what, how would you put your finger on why it couldn't just have been the final four last year? I mean, maybe that was a big part of it, but why just, is it the, um, you know, how attractive the game is played? Is it the, the the characters in the game right now, the player? What would you say? I think a little bit of all of that. I think, you know, our game has gotten better over the last couple of years um, in terms of how it's played, how it's coached. And, and I think people who like basketball are enjoying women's basketball from that perspective. We've also gotten more TV exposure in recent years. So I think there's more people now that can say, boy, I didn't, I didn't realize I liked the game like I do. Our attendance is up. So same thing, more people that come to games, they're coming back. So we're, we're, we're up in TV, we're up um, in attendance all over the place. And then I think you kind of hit on one thing that was really specific to last year. You had the, a generational player in Caitlin Clark in the final four in the championship game. You had an incredible player um, and personality in Angel Reese and it kind of all came together where it was going to be a great basketball game, but the personalities were going to shine and, and people really like that. And they, they're into that right now. Yeah. Uh, that, I, to I totally, yeah, that, that, that makes total sense to me. One more question before I turn it over to TD here. Um, what'd you take from Muffet McGraw as a coach that maybe you've implemented? Obviously you, you guys had great success, won a national championship. I believe uh, in 2000 and was it one or two there? Maybe? One. Yeah. Yep. 2001. Yeah, no, she was a great mentor. Um, she was a great coach, a great mentor. I had a, a wonderful experience there personally and professionally. And I would tell you that the thing, you know, there's a lot of places that you can go and you can learn X's and O's. Um, you can learn skill development. You can learn scouting. You can learn all that stuff. But if you aspire to be a head coach, as you know, for as long as you've done it now, probably the most important thing you can learn prior to get that job is how to run a program and how to manage a program. And Muffet was excellent at that. Great organization, 
um, great way of managing the staff and treating people. And that, that's the thing I'll probably take away um, from that experience most is just, just how well she managed the program. And I thought ultimately that was one of the biggest keys to her success over her career. Interesting. That's really good. Yeah. Coach, you have um you have a family full of athletes. I think your wife was a was yeah. a baller. Your kids are ballers. Um you have a daughter that's at Belmont right now playing bas- college basketball. Is it Belmont, is that right or where is it? I got two. I got so my my oldest daughter is a junior um at Belmont. She plays basketball and they're on December twenty second. They play at the shot. We play them this year, which should be <laughs> that's pretty awesome. cool. That's and then awesome. my next oldest daughter is a freshman playing basketball at Bowling Green. Yeah. So having the job that you have, obviously, as a head coach at The Ohio State University, how hard is it not being able to be in attendance to, you know, a lot of their stuff? I think people on the outside don't know how hard it is to be a head coach and running a program and, and how busy it is. Um, you know, how how have you gotten through that the last couple of years? Um, how do you watch your games? Yeah, it's tough. Now, I'm I'm really we're fortunate nowadays uh, that, you know, with uh, streaming and all that, I watch more on TV than I could have 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I, I have yet to see my oldest daughter play in person yet. Yeah. Um, uh, then hopefully with with Kieran being at Bowling Green and playing in the Mac, I'm, I'm, I think I'll be able to get to some of her games when, when we're not when, like maybe on off days and so forth, but it's really tough. And then, you know, we have four other children are high school and grade school. And so yeah. we're running around trying to, trying to watch them, but my wife does an amazing job keeping everything organized. And it's just the, it's really tough part of it. Now I will tell people that it, it stinks because I miss some of their events, which I want to be at all of them, but I'll also tell you that, We've also done some things because of my job, like them coming to the NCAA tournament with me and trips like that Mm -hmm. have been really amazing. So we've had some incredible experiences, um, but it has been tough to miss some of the things that, you know, most people get to to see in their children's lives or be a part of. Will we see Bowling Green on a schedule here in the next couple of years? We've talked to them. I think we're trying to get it set up for next year, actually. Okay, cool. Good, good. Is what what are the best leagues for – Women's is the Big Ten the best league? I think that you would argue the Big Ten and the SEC for sure. And I think next year when we add the four people we're adding, then definitely the Big Ten will be the the, the best and deepest conference in women's basketball. So you coached in the uh, Pac Pac Ten, Pac Twelve. Yeah, uh, you've coached in um, the A Ten, the A Ten before Xavier Four. went to the Big Big East. Correct, and now the Big Ten and obviously was an assistant at Notre Dame. Any dramatic differences in the styles of, of play? You know, when I was in, in the Pac-12, it was – well, it's, it's, it's an interesting question because when I went to Washington, the Big Ten was known as sort of a, a walk-it-up, grind-it-out, physical-style yeah. conference. Yeah. The Pac-12 was known for a little more of the – kind of beautiful offense and finesse and skill and all that type of stuff. Now, when I came to Ohio state, it was around the same time Maryland came in from the ACC. Yep. And Maryland had been playing very much up tempo. Yep. We had, we were fortunate. We got a really good recruiting class early on with Kelsey Mitchell, who's one of the most dynamic guards to ever play our, our game and is as good as anybody going up the court at a high rate of speed and being able to handle the ball and make plays. So 
we started playing really fast. And then Iowa, you know, they get Caitlin Clark. And so now our league is really shifted. Now in terms of pace and scoring, we're at the top of college women's basketball. And it's been an interesting evolution from where it was to where it is now. Yeah, that really is. that. That's fascinating. I knew Maryland and Iowa both both played fast. And obviously, yeah. we play – you play fast. Yeah. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about that. So, I get, I get asked all the time, hey, coach, why don't you press more? Why don't more college men's teams press? You know, why don't more teams press? And I explain to them a little bit of – um, you know, it's just different because men are able to break presses a little bit easier. Um, uh, but uh, some teams do it very well, but you don't maybe see it as much as you used to see it. Um, and I think some of it is the three-point line, too, that, that's changed it. Yeah. Um, but that's a regular part of what you do and a consistent. I, I don't know how much you would say you you do it throughout the game, but it's it's pretty consistent with your defensive system full court pressure. Yes. Uh, give, give our listeners the kind of the, the science, the reasoning behind that. Yeah. No one, I, I think you're hundred percent right. It's a little bit different men's and women's basketball and men just oftentimes just from a physical standpoint can, can make some plays, especially can make some long passes that we don't see being made in women's basketball. And so um, I think in women's basketball, it is it can be disruptive. And if we're doing it right, we're not even just turning people over. We're just disrupting them and not letting them walk the ball up and run offense. And for I'll give you an example. We played Connecticut in the Sweet 16. Yeah. It, had we had we let them walk the ball up and run offense, they would have carved us up. They're just too good at it. And we were good in a half court defense. And uh, we were good half court defensively, but not good enough to guard that for 40 minutes. Yeah. So that was an example of where our press, we turned them over some, but yep. we really kept them out of rhythm. And so if we can be good at pressing and not giving up easy baskets and just getting matched up, I think it's effective. Number one, number two, it really wears on people from a conditioning standpoint. Yeah. I kind of like it in, in our game. Um, we have two extra scholarships versus what you have. Yep. So the, the most you can have is 13. Well, this year I got 15 people on scholarship. Well, you know, realistically, if you're going to even attempt to try to keep people engaged, why not have a style that utilizes more people, a few more people than you normally otherwise? And I think that's a little bit unique to women's basketball with the number of people you can have. Yes. So when you talk about, you know, the, the women's, that we play against not being able to make some of the plays the guys can make the fact that we can take them out of the rhythm and still get in the half court defense and then utilizing the depth of our roster. Um, those are a lot of the reasons why, you know, I've kind of gone to this style. That's really interesting. Um, TD, were you going to add something to that? It looked like you had maybe the, no, no, I was not. I mean, that UConn game was unbelievable. I mean, turnovers they had and early on in that game, I was just, I was in shock. It was it was a really good game. I'll, I'll also I'll also tell you, um, coach, that still in women's basketball, not a lot of people press, and Is so right? yeah, no, not a lot. And so we you when you play us, you got to spend a lot of time preparing for the press. And I also think that's that's something that um, has an impact um, on our games as well. That that's what I was wondering. Is is it more common in women's like in the Big Ten? 
how many teams outside of you press? Com- do, do you press more than anybody else? Yes. Wow. Now, I will tell you, I had several coaches come up to me this summer and wanted to talk to me about the press. I bet. And this, that, and the other. So I mean, more people may do it this year, but but not that many people do it. So I, I think, you know, it, it becomes a little bit harder to prepare for us. So given that you do it consistently, good pressing teams, um, you know, based on kind of what we've studied, they, they have different looks uh, if they yeah. do it regularly, you know. Yeah. And they have different looks out of the same alignment. They have different looks out of the same. They can disguise um, Mm -hmm. where the traps are coming from, when they're coming, um, uh, all of those things. So do you have a number of different presses that you use or just different looks? We have probably three. We want to use one primarily the most. We have two other things. Um, Basically, a it's a diamond that morphs into our press yeah. to the point. It's just like, you're right. It's a different, different look, but probably what, what I'm going to try to be better at this year is, um, is, is cause like if, if you go through the, the conference, especially there's probably two or three or four common ways that people try to attack it or break it. And so we're going to try to be a little more prepared at almost like scouting their yep. press breaks and how we initially aligned to that and then morph into the press. Yeah. Yeah. So given that, do you ever look at it with someone? And I don't want you to give away your secrets because your yeah. Iowa game is sold out already. Uh, and yeah. we're, we're recording this in, in October. Um, um, given somebody like Caitlin Clark, do you, um, do you press differently against someone that's that dynamic as a ball handler and a shooter and an open floor player? Yeah. You know, sort of. And I would say that because they, they put her in kind of different spots. So depending upon where they are putting her, we're definitely going to have an awareness where she is some type of strategy to, to, to play against that alignment. Yeah. 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 She's, She's a fascinating player to watch. Yeah, fan, fantastic. Just yeah. one of the best any of any of us will ever see. She's Is great. that right? You would oh, put yeah. her as one of the best any any of you will coach against. No question. And I'll tell you, like, when she came into the league as a freshman, she was really an elite-level scorer, even as a freshman. And But now, as she's gotten older, she's as good as anyone I've ever seen in, in my coaching career at reading the floor and making people better. Like for example, she's coming off of a ball screen and she is reading the tag as well as anybody you'll ever see. And for example, if, if they're really tagging hard to take away the roller, she's going to throw a pass to the person, you know, on the wing or lifting out of the corner. It's going to hit him right in the hands yeah. and they're going to have a, a an open shot. It's not going to be a bad pass or one at their feet. It's going to hit them right where a shooter would want it every single time. Yeah. Interesting. That Yeah. I, I noticed that watching her in the tournament last year, her ball screen reads were great. She great incredible IQ and your point on the tag and, and, uh, and she's great at hitting the roll or two. Uh, yeah. And reading yeah. those. She's just an yeah. elite passer. Let me ask you this. Um, sometimes in college drew Timmy from Gonzaga elite college player, but doesn't translate to the NBA. Right. Often in college, what you see is guys that can, can be like, you can be an NBA prospect, but not a great college player. And the the vice versa can be true. You can be a really good college player, 
and not translate to the NBA. Is yep. that true as, as well in women's college basketball in the WNBA? Or is it like, hey, if you're an elite college player, you're going to be able to be successful in the NBA? It's it is starting to it's starting to be a similar thing. Now, one, you know, the WNBA, they need they're, they're expanding now, which is great. We need more roster spots in our sport for professionals because there's a lot of great players that get cut, and don't make a team. But one area where I think that's becoming very true, where you can be really good in college and it might not translate to the pros is like we're starting to see in the WNBA a lot more five out stuff and post players playing on the perimeter. So if you're a college player and, and you're only good around the basket, we're starting to see that not translate as much sort of like, I think you're seeing in college basketball and the men's side as well with what they're doing in the NBA with everybody playing five out type stuff. Hmm. Interesting. So your, your, um, your tenure here, and then I'll let you turn it over uh, <clears throat> about Xavier, your tenure here, has been, uh, you know, a, a really successful one. I think just a couple years where uh, you didn't make the NCAA tournament, but outside of that, um, you've been pretty much every year, um, uh, you know, multi, three Sweet 16s, is, if I'm looking at it correctly, it, as well as uh, now Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and then going into this year, a, a top five ranking. Um what would you say now? I, I think I know, I've, you know, having talked to you enough, while you had success, then there were a couple of years there where you say, hey, we probably weren't what we wanted to be, you know, yeah. um, uh, maybe in the middle of your tenure. What would you say now, Kevin, is the reason, the main reasons why it's probably the best it's been in your tenure here in terms of the energy the excitement, the success, the tournament um, after maybe a couple of years there in the middle of your tenure where it just wasn't what you wanted it to be? Well, I think um, we had really, over the course of my career, uh, recruited a lot of talent. We've, we've been fortunate to recruit really talented players. And I think early on, we had so much talent that we were going to win. This, we won some Big Ten championships. We went to the Sweet 16. Yeah. But – I would, and then we had just a little bit of a lull there. I don't, I just don't think we had great teams. We had really talented teams, but not great teams. And I think what the difference has been, we've been a little bit better at instead of acquiring talent, is putting together a team. So, you know, we've passed on some talented kids that might we might have been able to get because they just didn't fit with the rest of the group or they didn't fit culturally. And I just think we've been a lot better with that. And and we had we've had great kids throughout my tenure. Yes. But I think this is the best collection of kids and how they fit together that we've had the last couple of years. And so I would tell you last year we went to Lee I don't think that was our most talented team, or um, I think we had more talented teams early on, but that was the best team that we had. And and so instead of acquiring talent, we're trying to put together better teams. And I think we've been better at doing that. I thought you were going to say that. And it's such it's such a fascinating thing to really look at and study. And I'm sure coaches out there that are listening get it. And if you're not coached, you don't totally understand. It's it's more difficult than it appears because we all oh, yeah. can become enamored with talent. And yet sometimes talent doesn't fit um, as well as you'd like for it to, to fit. And um, you're 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 girls now seem 
your ladies now seem super impressive of people and you obviously have talent, but yeah. they seem super impressive as people and just a, a really, really good chemistry. So I, I thought you would say that just a few tweaks there. Yeah, um, that's right. That, uh, that, that, have, that have changed it to where it's at right now. Um, TD. Coach. Um, I actually played for a coach here at Ohio State, Thad Mata, who had a similar transition from Xavier to Ohio State. Um, and I remember talking to him one time and he said, you know, recruiting for Xavier, you know, he, he was selling like the intimate basketball school. Like, you know, he had to sell Xavier. He said at Ohio State, the brand is so big, he didn't have to sell as much. Do you see that in women's basketball as well? Like when you're recruiting on the road, um, you know, like what's the biggest difference between Xavier and Ohio State that you've experienced? Yeah, no, I think that's that's all correct. Obviously, Ohio State has a, a huge athletics brand, even in, in, in as a school, and, and people know it throughout the country. And, and Xavier is a small, you know, Catholic school with a great commitment to basketball in general, women's or men's. Yeah. So they got all that. So you got to really sell basketball there. It's like mm -hmm. you're coming there to to play basketball and to to get better yeah. and maybe go be a pro. And, and here it's like you. I mean, we're certainly selling that here, um, but we're also selling a little bit different um, campus environment and the city and, and all the in the brand and all that type of stuff. But I'll tell you, like, I think like one of the some of the biggest differences are just personally. It's like you know Xavier. It's like you know you go and you travel and you got to you charge it on your credit card. You turn the receipt in and. And then that's the end of it. And, you know, here you, you turn something in here, it's going to get scrutinized by 27 different people. And which is fine. I'm not saying uh, one's right and one's wrong. It's just completely different getting used to all that. Everything in Ohio State is a public record. It's like, yeah. you don't have any of that, Xavier. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's more just how you operate personally and your personal style as a coach, getting used to all that. I mean, yeah. when I got here, it's like it took me – years to realize all the resources we had and it's like okay how do you tap into these resources how can it help your program it's just mm -hmm. it's a big adjustment that way as much as anything yeah yeah i've told people there you know they've asked about butler and, and obviously xavier's different yeah. but now that those schools are in power leagues there's pluses and minuses and yeah no uh, doubt to, to both situations really um yes. that's that's the reality you know xavier as well as Butler, are are tremendous schools really really care about men's and women's basketball? No doubt, no doubt. And I mean, I think, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think, and obviously, our place does here too at a really high level. But sure. when you don't have a, a a brand like the the football brand here, it, it's just different because those those sports really have to carry the the load there, and everybody working there understands it. Um, yes. Yes, that's right. Let me ask you this uh, before we let you we let you get out of here. Your hardest loss uh, of your career, and which will be easier for you to probably remember, uh, than and your most rewarding win. You know, I've had two really the, probably the two toughest losses were um, the elite. Well, I lost the elite eight twice at Xavier we had a great team and we had, we went on a great run and played Stanford and Sacramento and, and just the way we lost, we, we had, um, we had a shot at the buzzer with about six seconds to go to take the lead. And we missed it point blank, you know, and got the rebound and missed, missed two point blank shots. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Stanford inbounded and threw in a crazy shot to win. And so that, that was really tough. Cause I, I think for, you know, most of the game we had outplayed them and just didn't win at the end. And then, and then um, that's probably my toughest. I mean, this, this past year's elite eight loss was tough just because I love that team. And, and I thought we had a chance, but we just didn't play well enough that day. And they, they played really well. So give them credit. And, but probably the most rewarding was, was the sweet 16 win over um, Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, you know, we this program hadn't been to the Elite Eight in 30 years. Yeah. So that was a significant step for us. Sure. And then it's like, it's not like we played somebody in Sweet 16 who had up, upset somebody. And, you know, it was like an easier game than maybe oh, you yeah. had them. We had to play the best program in the history of the game to get yes. there. Yes. And I have so much respect for them and what they've accomplished. So for us to be able to accomplish what we did to get the Elite, elite Eight and have to go through such a great program and a well-coached and extremely talented team like Connecticut was, was really special. Yeah, no, I think that, that, that made it uh, a really fun ride for all of us who were, who were following you guys during that run um, to take on a brand of that, of that caliber and a coach like Gino and yeah. uh, brought great attention to, to your program, which, which had to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, those, those uh, I'm really excited. And, and obviously this will get released during the year, but um, I think, you know, Ohio State, every wall you look on, you win with people. Uh, you hear that here. And uh, I think uh, you have a team full of uh, really good players and really good people. And I feel like we do, too. And I think that gives us both a real chance to yeah. um, have an enjoyable year. So awesome. we're holding for you. Look forward to uh, following you guys. And um, and uh, I'm sure we'll be exchanging texts throughout the throughout the year after after wins. Yep. <laughs> Let's hope a lot of them. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, That's right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thanks, Jeff. See, See you, buddy. All right. That was Kevin McGuff. Really enjoyed talking to Kevin. I think Kevin has uh, had an incredibly successful coaching career, um, as well as I, I believe his program right now is at a real high point uh, in his tenure here at Ohio State. Uh, coming off an Elite Eight and a Sweet 16 and uh, a tremendous team. This will get released sometime in season, uh, and we expect it. Uh, it's gonna he's going to have another tremendous season. So really enjoyed listening to Kevin talk about kind of his, his style of play, uh, some of his recruiting philosophy, uh, why he feel like, feels like his program is at such an uptick right now. Uh, just a tremendous coach, a tremendous X and O coach, and has a great rapport with this player. So hopefully you enjoyed that podcast. Please um, subscribe and rate this podcast. Uh, and as always, thanks to Terrence Diles and our producer, Tyler Danberg, um, on today's uh, podcast. Take care and we'll see you soon.